Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. It is Wednesday, May the 8th, and I'm going to welcome myself back. I'm going to welcome myself back because last week and next week and every other week we have co-host Sarah Lapsley. Um, Last week we, uh, she talked about the opera and a little bit about doxa and so I thought maybe I would do the same thing. Not so much opera but a little bit of Doxa. Now, um, CITR is a sponsor of Doxa this year, as usual, but we are very, very happy to do so. Um, but I also get to see a lot of shows uh, because of the Arts Report, which is always amazing, and I thought I'd share with you a few of my thoughts. Now, on my last show, I had uh, the Joe Pat and the Horse Palace, Joe Pap in Five Acts and the Horse Palace, which were uh, both uh, enjoyable films, and since then I've seen quite a few more. Um, first up, uh, I saw, recently saw Occupy the movie, and uh, got to for the opening night, and got to hear a little bit from Corey Oglevy and Oglevy and uh, his partner uh, talking about the filming of the movie. Um, it's kind of a combination of the theoretical side. You have some really great philosophers. Side note, really happy people are still called philosophers in today's world. Um, But uh, you had Dr. Cornel West and Noam Chomsky and other um, perhaps slightly lesser known philosophers and thinkers, as well as local uh, social theory uh, experts and social movement experts. And then you had the organizers on the ground and you had their personal experiences and you got to uh, learn a little bit about what it is personally. There's a lot of information about the internal workings of both Wall Street and the police um, that I found both interesting and extremely terrifying. Um, And the way uh, really gave insight as to the dehumanization of protesters and basically anyone who isn't making money, isn't a capitalist driver or isn't part of the kind of military complex that is so popular in the United States and North America and the Western world. So uh, it's a really powerful exploration of macro theory and kind of micro motivation. And at the Q&A, uh, there was more revealed. The next uh, screening of that is May 11th, so this Saturday. Another show that I saw was Backbone, uh, Vancouver Experimental Cinema from 1967 to 1981, and screens again this Sunday, May 12th. This was a show uh, that I had hopes for being basically a kind of rundown of film, getting to see a lot of the films. It was much more a talking head documentary, um, some really, really interesting local artists and experts um, about experimental film and kind of how it dovetailed with the punk scene that was huge in the 60s and 70s in Vancouver and also the way that 
the scene here fed, you know, others. We're not always following the curve. Sometimes we're starting it. And, you know, Canada is the home of communication theory. And a lot of the theories uh, were front and center during this film. Now, I happen to have a communication background, so I was able to pick up most of what they said. I still Wikipedia'd. I definitely will admit that. And so while it is enjoyable and there it's a really well-made documentary, this is something that if you have an investment in film theory, um, culture theory, communication theory, and you know a little bit about it, you're going to enjoy a lot more. Um, there are definitely, it's, it's somewhere between laymen and experts. Like if you are, uh, have any sort of background or, or familiarity with the theory, you'll probably be fine. But it was uh, certainly heady stuff. So do not go to this if you expect to see a lot of experimental film. You're not going to be watching experimental film. And you're not even watching an experimental documentary. It's a pretty standard documentary about the people and the theory, the backbone, if you will, of Vancouver experimental cinema. And then uh, the third film uh, that I saw, which was uh, another Canadian film, these are all Canadian, by the way, um, is Boredom. And by the description in the Docs to Festival, I was kind of, and, and perhaps this is me, this is me reading it wrong, getting my hopes up, but I uh, did not like this film at all. I found it unwatchable. I literally did not watch it all. And the reason is because with boredom with the the art and the description i was expecting something a little existential i was expecting something a little more artistic and something that kind of delves deep into the way that we interact with technology and the world Um, technology and our workplaces and education system specifically of north america is really heavily talked about in this film the problem is that the way that it's presented is boring and made all the more boring by this aggressive narration, this boomy, exploding graphics. And it was actually quite repetitive, did not really have anyone with any clout um, to speak to the high level theory behind boredom. Um, he keeps saying, oh, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And that's interesting, but it was kind of like something bad you'd see on the History Channel. Uh, it's a very rare miss for Doxa. I love I love the festival, and I'm pretty you're pretty much guaranteed to see something interesting. But this is this I I people are in it right now, and that's why I posted reviews on CITR.ca last night, and you can check them out um, in the art support category or on the front page as of right now. I posted it early, and I tweeted about it because I pity the people who have to see this in the theater. Um, so a rare miss for Doxa. Um, if you'd like to know uh, a little bit more about some of the screenings that have happened, um, last week on the May uh, May 1st Arts Report, uh, we had Fight Like Soldiers, Die Like Children, and Sarah Lapsley does an in-depth review of that. And then East Hastings Pharmacy, as well as an interview disconnected from Doxa with in-the-house creator Miriam uh, are both on Stranded, episode 105, with our supporter Matthew Grenland doing his show Stranded, the Australian uh, Canadian music show. And uh, East Hastings Pharmacy, uh, Matt uh, works at Insight, as does uh, 
a couple of programmers here actually and so he had special insight so that's something to check out on stranded and that is obviously also a local documentary um so talking a little more doxa we uh have today an interview with the directors uh both of photography and of the whole show it's pretty much a two-person team um of april butler and uh jillian henderson and uh basically it is a story of sorry jillian rankowski uh it is the story of april's father and his relationship with Gurley. now he is 73 and she is 23 and she's living in the Philippines, and he has semi-retired there uh, to meet this woman that he met online. Now, April and Jillian have worked together on a documentary called The Brothel Project, and both have extensive careers in film and television, CBC, CTV, Global, um, and, and these type of institutions. Uh, they won a Leo for The Brothel Project, which focused on uh, brothels in New Zealand and around the world. And so they thought, wow, what an interesting idea for a story. And as the film progresses, you get this raw, emotional roller coaster of April connecting with and disconnecting with her father and this, uh, you know, ostensibly lovely young woman. Um, but why are they together? Um, with the age difference um, and the cultural issues that are brought up by this relationship and the plethora of older white Western men heading to the Philippines um, to connect with, so to speak, the youth there. Um, so it, uh, it's, a, it's a hard story to watch and there are some big twists that I will not give away, but there are a couple of what moments and uh no one has seen it yet and so it is airing uh on the 11th and then it is also airing uh on the knowledge network this fall so you can learn more at fatherfiguresdocumentary.com or on doxafestival.ca and what i'm going to do for you now is play uh an interview between uh myself and jillian and april at their home last week and this is just an excerpt this is an excerpt um at first we speak a little bit about the actual making of the documentary and what it was like so we have jillian as our eyes and ears filming april filming interviews with Gurley, the uh, the young lady and her father dale and april is very much involved in this story it is a as uh, Jillian will, will speak, she's our first speaker today. Uh, she speaks a little bit about the POV documentary and how this is even more in-depth and even more personal. And seeing them go through it in real time, not coming back narrating later, again, something very important to them, is very, very emotionally moving. Um, and then we also go on to talk a little bit about some of the issues that are displayed in the film in our long edit, which is on our Mixcloud, we go a little further in depth about the family's reaction, about some of the issues that are brought up by the film, and a little bit more about the making of the film itself. So, uh, without further ado, we are going to play the trailer from the film to give you a little bit more about the content, and we will move into the interview with 
April, and Jillian. Enjoy CITR 101.9's The Arts Report, Father Figures at DOXA. I'm in the Philippines for the very first time. I'm here to see my dad and his fiance, who he's crazy in love with. I'm going to go meet my future stepmom. Oh. She's really young. There's good 50 years. It's not normal. I love him. No, 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 wait. You know, we don't want to make a bad impression. You're just trying to westernize her. You probably. I grew up thinking, okay, my dad has a lot of sexist views, but nothing like this. <laughs> I'm excited to have grandchildren. Dale is white. Are your plans to bring Gurley to Canada? Uh, not right now. You told me he's been a millionaire. He's been a millionaire? No. I'm not sure where my loyalties stand. Who needs to know the truth? I'm not sure I can handle this, April. Everything's changed. It, it's... No. <laughs> Is it because I'm saying stuff you don't want to hear about my... about Dale? Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Commercial Drive area at Audio Pile, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, and the People's Co-op Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the Sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Being a director of photography, having her doing the interviews with Dale and Gurley, with it being a POV, we had not seen somebody with that second camera watching her, watching them, and that was the um, really the backbone of what we had pitched to Knowledge Network, is you're going to see something really different here. You're going to see a filmmaker um, going through this journey um, from the audience's perspective, so you really feel like you're sitting beside her the entire time watching her experience one thing to the next. Now, you, you mentioned the intimate nature of the project and also the, the fact that April is on camera asking these questions. How did that affect the intimacy of the conversations? Because having those conversations with family of this very intimate and in some ways confrontational nature, how did that allow you to actually engage in that topic? Did it decrease or increase those um, intimate moments? people will probably laugh but I would describe myself as very shy you know in my personal life but when I you hand me a camera I become a different person I have a job to do so you push past the oh I'd rather go hide in the corner you have to ask the questions so with my father it was all of a sudden I'm asking questions that I want to know but the viewers and Jillian would want to know as well so you know asking my father about birth control and his sex life and those are things I would never ever have the nerve to ask um, and talking to Gurley about the relationship those are things that as an individual you don't get the opportunity to ask but as a filmmaker and when I'm holding a camera I'm pushed to that to, to ask those questions and get those answers and it's it's very freeing you know you, all of a sudden you can basically ask anything you want and see where it rolls and where it goes and and you learn a lot mm -hmm. the other thing is we were shooting a, a lot so people and with a very small camera it's you know hd is amazing these days 
so people forget very quickly that that camera's there. You know, we put wireless mics on them. They're running around. They forget that we're recording. Uh, it's well, maybe they don't forget, but they it becomes part of the background, and we just kind of do our thing. And so you're constantly following them around, shooting them, but you're still maintaining eye contact with them. So that opportunity to shoot really sort of freed us to really get down into the story. It seems like you were occupying this space between, especially you, April, between journalist and participant, because you, as the story unfolds, as the film unfolds, you know, there are places where you step in and you have these direct advice-giving conversations, sometimes these directive-giving conversations, which in a, a more traditional director subject you would kind of have no effect on the story um, except for that kind of unspoken effect of having the camera so it was it was an interesting process um, Jillian how was that to you to watch that because you are the more traditional kind of invisible force in the film well I mean I think it's um it's every filmmaker's challenge when you decide to cover a topic how much you're going to get involved and what you're going to say and when to um you know, move the story along. So April's role in the field was, it, it's a POV, so, mm-hmm. and it's her family. So she's, you know, was making sure that, you know, she was driving what was happening next. And um, and so what my job was is to stand back and be, try and be that audience member. And no matter how much you want to step in and go, oh my God, mm-hmm. from the, I'm seeing this from here and I'm one step removed. So then the audience is going to be one step even further removed why aren't you going to say anything? So April really had to take the lead in deciding, you know, how she was going to approach um, the next scene that was coming up. And I had to really stand back and go, no, just let it unfold and, and capture it. Be the behind the scenes that everybody sort of wants to say, hey, I wish we could do a behind the scenes of this documentary. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. So I had to be that role. And sometimes, yeah, it was absolutely super challenging. But then you can't have two people jumping in and going, well, I would go this way. Well, I would go this way. No, you've got to step back and you've got to be that sort of voyeuristic person with the camera, just letting it happen. And in essence, representing the audience. So I'm watching April going through this motion like the audience is, and April is within the scene. And a POV is exactly that. It's offering your perspective. And so it wouldn't be a true POV if April wasn't in it offering her perspective. The perspective just happened to be really close to home. Mm-hmm. So it adds that different dynamic of not just having that removed, hey, you know, I'm going to tell this story because I've got this opinion because this is what I think. I'm going to tell this story because this is my family and I need to engage and have an opinion here. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a different style for sure. And um, But I think, you know, the way we approached it offered the perspective of being that audience member watching it. And so when the audience wants to shake her and go, oh my gosh, why aren't you doing anything? Well, you know, all in good time, mm-hmm. you have to just wait and see it unfold. Mm-hmm. So. We um, we approached this too because I, I was tired of seeing POVs where the people go back after two months and think about how they feel. We really wanted this to be on the fly, raw. So you see me packing up and Jillian's shooting me after an interview and it's, you know, happening. So, you know, it's right off the... It's raw and and real so that's when you know Jillian sort of has to push that's that that was the harder part where Jillian had to push me to go okay how do you feel like I know like when shit goes sideways I wanted to go to sleep and just not deal with it and that's when Jillian needed to step up and 
and push hard, push me harder. And because of a relationship, it worked that I didn't have to kill her. <laughs> you just um, thought about it. And I held the tickets home and the passports. <laughs> But it's, I mean, that, that offered a, a unique challenge too, because we we're such a tiny little crew. And so, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, now it's my turn to, you know, I've got to push with the questions that I know, you know, when I'm watching something happen, that I know the audience is dying to know and wonder, what, what were you thinking and how are you feeling? You just, you know, you just discovered this huge thing that you didn't anticipate at the very beginning of this process. And we'd be sitting there and, and you know, and we, we agreed we would do this beforehand then when it comes down to the crunch mm-hmm. we're sitting there in a hotel room we've you know just had this huge crazy day it's midnight we're packing up gear and uh you know and april is just confiding in her friend mm-hmm. about what's just happened and you know we give each other that look of you know what okay yeah we've got to be filming this because this is raw this is real we're not going to go back and we're not going to voice over it later mm-hmm. we got to talk we got to do what's happening right in the moment so what you're hearing and what you're seeing in the doc is actually in that moment as opposed to months later now, now do you remember how you felt at that moment when you know yeah. you learned that thing about your dad it's actually reality instead of just reality tv yeah, yeah. it's the real reality tv which yeah. is the true you know what of what true true documentary is mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we did our best to do. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, April wanted to kill me and, um, (laughs) you know, yeah, but, uh, but that's, uh, you know, I think at the end, we're really proud of the end product of what it ended up being, but, um, but it it wasn't an easy road to get there. It was two and a half years of, uh, tough decisions. I found that watching the film uh, brought up a lot of discussions around a lot of concepts. Age, ageism, Western entitlement, feminism, and, and marriage, and loneliness. Um, and I, I'd like to know some of the things that you learned and some of the ideas that you had to confront. Um, I think the, the first one, I, someone said it's like a rape of a culture. You know, we have these Western and Western men who feel entitled to these relationships at any cost. And then we have the Filipino women who are willing to, to serve and take care of men and, and idolize white men. So, you know, th- these two come together in this perfect storm and, you know, everybody's going, oh, yeah, it, it happens so much over there. You go into any hotel and a good percentage of the people there are older white guys there to meet their young Filipino or Thai women or, you know, not so much in Hong Kong, but they're there to see their Asian Asian girlfriends. And so they're... So that was disappointing to see. Mm-hmm. You know, not only... And it's like two levels. It's, okay, my dad is doing this. And, you know, seeing this relationship and realizing this isn't good. You know, she isn't really getting what she needs out of this. And this is long-term damaging. Um, and But then you come across it in all the hotels and you talked we talked to other men who are there and getting their wives or getting their girlfriend or um and it's just treating women like they're a commodity and it was it was shocking the question what kind of cities do we want to live in how do we want our cities to be cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. 
Join me, your host, Andrew Longhurst, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. for The City, an hour dedicated to critical discussions of urban issues. Live on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. For more info, visit thecityfm.org. And we are back on CITR 101.9. You can check out more information about uh, this film, which I highly recommend, fatherfiguresdocumentary.com or on doxafestival.ca. And I've also uploaded the uh, full interview with a bit more information about the film and about the relationships uh, that develop therein on Mixcloud com slash arts report and i will pop that up on our facebook as well so make sure you've liked that at facebook.com slash uh sorry slash arts report and hell like just get it all together twitter too it's uh, twitter.com slash citr underscore arts report so that's all our social media buzz and that's where you can find all the extended clips of these very very interesting people now speaking of interesting people uh today in the second half of the show, we have a very interesting treat for you. Uh, Chernobyl the Opera runs May 14th to 19th at the Carousel Studio Theater. And I saw a excerpt slash preview slash small version at Hive 2 last year at Chapel Arts, just around this time. And uh, it really, really intrigued me. It was based on uh, stories from resettlers and... Um, people living in Chernobyl after the meltdown. And uh, in studio today, we have members of the production team, the Troika Collective. Um, And we are going to learn a little bit more about this event and as well uh, about uh, the individuals. And I would love it if you guys uh, would introduce yourself starting to my left. Tell us a little bit about what you do in the show. Hello, my name is Steffi Mancha. I'm an SFU theater student. Um, In this show, I play the wife of a liquidator. And hi, my name is Manuela Sosa. I play a woman that has chosen to resettle in the Chernobyl region. And I am Chu Lin Wu, and I play a child. Um, but my song is about a composite from lots of different children who survived or were victims of Chernobyl. My name is Elliot Vaughan. I wrote the music for this uh, opera, and I'll be playing accordion. And my name's Aliyah Griffin, and I am the director of this piece, um, and I guess the original concept for the piece was mine. A mastermind. Um, <laughs> I just want to talk to you a little bit about the impetus behind the show, and uh, what what it was that brought you to this topic, and uh, what has been the kind of process of developing it from the small show that I saw last year to what we're going to get an excerpt of today. Sure. Um, well, I am of Ukrainian descent, which the name Griffin uh, is a bit <laughs> misleading, but my mom's side of the family is Ukrainian. Um, so when Chernobyl happened, obviously it impacted um, the Ukrainian community in Vancouver where I grew up, and the hall uh, where I danced and went to language classes and that sort of thing was involved uh, in a lot of charity work following Chernobyl. Um, so I think it's kind of been in my psyche from a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, But it wasn't until I came across a collection of interviews with survivors and liquidators and resettlers to the region um, that I was really interested in in doing something theatrical with the the, um, event. So 
I'm really interested in verbatim text and, and turning that into theatre. And uh, I've done it before, but with, with this text, I felt like it needed something more. There was something about the material that was very tragic, um, but also um, sort of alienating. Um, it's such a, a horrifying event, and, and, and radiation and the effects of it are, are something that I don't think we can fully grasp um, as human beings. Um, and I, I felt that putting it towards or putting it to music would be very effective. So I contacted my friend, Elliot Vaughn, who uh, shares an interest in um, Eastern European harmonies and and, and, uh, music. So, yeah, he agreed, and uh, we started writing the short version that you saw. And that... um Tell me a little bit about the process. So what I saw was... This isn't a narrative per se, correct? Correct. We're getting kind of vignettes or of, of these people that have been interviewed? Yeah, we we found stories that we found really compelling. Um, and we tried to, to cover uh, various topics. So, so people who were part of the Im- immediate cleanup of the accident, people who... Um, got sick years after people who chose to resettle in the region, which is hard to believe, but there are people who, who have chosen to move to Chernobyl post-accident. Um, so we, we wanted to kind of cover all our bases, but also we just went with what really interested us. Um, and because it is verbatim text and because these are real people, we really wanted to be true to their story. So rather than t- to create some sort of false narrative, we just decided to treat them as individual stories. And the piece does have a flow to it, and we've we've done some things with projection and with um, projected text to make it easier for the audience to follow what's happening. Mm-hmm. But we really just wanted to to stay true to the stories. Well, when I when I saw it, I think with the, between the costumes and the projections and the the music, it really you really get transported to another frame of mind. And so, in order to kind of get a little taste of that. Um, are we, we're going to do uh, a song. Can you tell us a little bit about the setup of this first song? I'm yeah, um, this song is called Window, What <coughs> Is It? And um, it is a song about one of the resettlers. It was a woman who um, was a Russian living in Tajikistan, which was one of the former Soviet republics. Um, and when civil war broke out in the 90s, she saw some horrific things. And um, her experiences there were, were so disturbing to her that she chose to move to Chernobyl because it was so isolated and so removed from the rest of humanity and and she found um the the threat of radiation less frightening than humanity wow okay um so we are going to uh hear from and and it's called sorry window what is it Cool, yes. What 
what is it? A coolam or a pamir, not boy or girl, but coolam or a pamir. We don't say anything. They start yelling, what is it? What is it? We don't say anything. Don't say anything, they start yelling. What is it? What is it? We don't say anything, so they grab the little baby. It's been on this earth for maybe five, ten minutes. And they throw it out the window.
You know, there's nothing sexier than voting on a hot summer day. Be sure to vote in the 40th Provincial General Election, Tuesday, May 14th. For more information, go to elections.bc.ca. Do you need someone to talk to? If you are seeking a listener who is non-judgmental, confidential, and familiar with resources, then a Speakeasy volunteer might be able to help you. AMS Speakeasy is a peer support service located in the North Concourse of the Sub. If you would like to speak to someone, come to the desk and tell a volunteer, or ring the doorbell located behind the desk. Bad Bird Media, The Georgia Strait, and CITR 101.9 present The Main Street Vinyl Record Fair, Saturday, May 18th, and Sunday, May 19th at the Cambrian Hall in Vancouver. Now two days featuring a different group of vendors each day. Thousands of vinyl records, personal collections up for sale, plus a selection of vintage turntables and gear. Featuring music by the Knights of the Turntable and food truck goodness from our friends at Dougie Dog Hot Dogs. The Main Street Vinyl Record Fair. Get your Vancouver vinyl discount card free with admission. That's 10% off at... Zoo Shop, Red Cat Records, Zulu Records, High Life World Music, Scrape Records, Dandelion Records, Neptune Records, Vinyl Records, The Beat Merchant, and Beat Street Records. And introducing the Main Street Meal Ticket. Also free with admission. Eat out on Main Street at Cray, Mr. Brownstone, The Reef, or Rocky Mountain Flatbread, and let the fair help you with the bill. The Main Street Vinyl Record Fair, Saturday, May 18th, and Sunday, May 19th at the Cambrian Hall, 215 East 17th in Vancouver. Now two days featuring a different group of vendors each day. Visit www.vinylrecordfair.com or find us on Facebook for more information. The Main Street Vinyl Record Fair, brought to you by Bad Bird Media, The Georgia Strait, and CITR. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. And uh, thank you to everyone for that uh, amazing piece from the uh, Chernobyl the Opera, which is playing at the Carousel Studio Theater May 14th to 19th. And it's funny because I actually did see that one last year. Totally forgot about that uh, really hardcore accordion. Um, Emotionally persuasive. but hard to rock a mic with it. <laughs> um, I'd like to know a little bit now, uh, Chernobyl, the opera is part of the Troika Collective. Can you tell me a little bit about what the Troika Collective is, how it, how it came together? Sure. Um, the Troika Collective is an ad hoc collective. So basically, um, it means that uh, any group of us can work together at different times under that name. Uh, the one thing that is consistent about the Troika Collective is we tend to deal with... Um, subjects of a Slavic or Ukrainian theme. Uh, It started with myself and two of my friends, Lauren Kraswadi and Natalie Schneck. Um, We created a piece called Troika about growing up um, Ukrainian-Canadian in Western Canada. And so that was sort of the inspiration for that name. But uh, the the version of Chernobyl, the opera that you saw last year, that was the first piece sort of under the, the Troika Collective. So you came together in order to produce Chernobyl, and you've got about 11 people kind of right now? And at, at any given time, yeah. The team for Chernobyl, the opera, is uh, seven cast members, 
a composer, a cellist, myself the director, and a stage manager. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Veronica Foundation? Yeah, the Veronica Foundation um, is a foundation um, that supports children suffering from leukemia and other childhood cancers in um, Eastern Europe, often as a result of uh, the Chernobyl disaster. As most people know, um, radiation spread throughout Russia, Ukraine, Belarus is probably the most affected, um, and uh, the quality of care is not what it should be in some of those places. For example, Ukraine lacks a um, bone marrow registry, and if they were to set up a bone marrow registry, they would have access to the registries across all of Europe. Mm -hmm. So something as simple as that is lacking. So this foundation... um, tries to assist individual children as well as is working towards things like developing a registry in Ukraine. And how do you guys work together with them? Um, I actually read about them in um, an article in the Georgia Strait and contacted um, Svetlana Kashkin, who runs the foundation, and she lives in Coquitlam. um, And I approached her about our project, um, and she was really excited and enthusiastic. So um, we're donating the proceeds from a preview performance on the 14th of May to their foundation. Um, and in return, uh, they're going to be coming in, and uh, her husband, who was a Chernobyl liquidator, is going to be speaking and answering questions at the end of the performance. Now we're going to play another song. Um, can you set that up for us? Sure. This piece is called Flashes, um, and it's sung by the wife of a liquidator um, who, who died as a result of his time spent in Chernobyl. Think of 
month. So what has it been like? And uh, feel free for any of you guys to speak to this. Um, you know, this is pretty heavy subject matter. Um, but, you know, so beautiful to hear uh, the performance. And, and as I said, when you when you hear it with the the costumes and the projections, you get this real atmosphere to it. Um, what has it been like to turn this in, into kind of entertainment in a way? What have been the challenges? Um, well, we definitely got feedback after mm -hmm. the first version that it was quite heavy mm -hmm. and that um, it might be effective to find some moments of levity, uh, which is challenging with yes. such subject matter. This is what I'm thinking. Yes, but um, with the inclusion of some of the stories of the resettlers, um, for some of them, they've found a great deal of peace in Chernobyl. Um, nature has managed to thrive somehow in Chernobyl, and, and some people speak about how beautiful it is there, and um, certain extinct species have reappeared um, or nearly extinct. Um, so there are definitely elements of the story that uh, um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they are happy, <laughs> but, um, but it's not all really dark and tragic. It, um, it's definitely, there's some variation to it, I would say. Does anyone else have anything to say to that? It's, it, it seems to speak kind of to that idea that, like, we can screw up the world a lot, but not so much that it won't go on in some form. Yeah. You know, we're hurting ourselves and our our other people. Yeah, a lot of people actually write about that to Chernobyl, that that uh, we had the hubris to invent nuclear power, and then we had the hubris to think that we could destroy the world, when in reality we can destroy ourselves very mm -hmm. well. <laughs> but but nature finds a way. Huh? Elliot, you wanted to speak? Yeah, there's there's uh, a myriad themes that come up in the writing of this opera. At first, it seemed like it might be. <clears throat> until I read the interviews, it seemed like it might be limiting. If I was just left to my own poor imagination, this would be a terrible piece, uh, dribbling on about mutants. Uh, but it's 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 very much not about that. I would say. One permeating theme is is reclaiming things. Uh, in the case you just spoke about, nature has reclaimed that area, and um, and now people are reclaiming. In, in the resettlers section, we've spoken about people are reclaiming that nature as their own, and they're reclaiming it as a place to live and uh, exist and have a good time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Live, for um, example. And I would also say that. Um, you know, even though it, it's a, a dark time in Ukrainian history, it's also a, a time when a lot of people really stepped up to the plate, and um, and there are monuments and those to, to people who risked their own lives to um, to prevent an even greater disaster. They say that were it not for the liquidators who um, sprayed the substance to prevent radioactive dust from from spreading, that the uh, exclusion zone would be you know, ten times larger. Who knows how much of Europe could have been affected if it weren't for um, the heroic acts. So I, I think there's also something to be said for for um, honoring the people who were not just victims, but who were uh, heroes. Mm -hmm. So this this started 
for Hive 2 last year. Are, you guys are participating in Hive 3 in June, I believe? The, yeah, yeah uh, June, I believe, 11th to the 19th, mm -hmm. I don't, or 16th, something like that. I don't have the dates on me. Um, the Troika Collective, not this particular group mm -hmm. of people. Um, the space we got this year is a bathroom at Chapel Arts, so it will be a one-woman show. Um, I will be directing, and um, Lauren Cresswaddy will, will be writing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we're playing... Again, with Slavic themes, um, the idea of uh, the mail-order bride industry and, uh, and sort of that North American dream and, and the, the flaws therein. So you're going you're gonna to want to see that father figure show then? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and uh, this is a, a great place to um, talk a little bit about any other projects that you guys of artists have uh, coming up. The week following Chernobyl, which, to repeat, is the 14th to 19th of this month. Mm -hmm. uh, the week following that, I'm involved in another project, which is a, a double feature, I suppose, part of the Revolver Festival, the 21st ah, yes. to the 26th of this month. Uh, the pieces are called Feast and Safeguard. Uh, a little more than a year ago, I suppose, I was involved in creating a piece with a gentleman named Robert Leverus, who's a genius, uh, called Safeguard, and I did an electronic score for that, and it, I guess it's a sort of a Noah's Ark type story about saving animals in times of, of great destruction, in this case, in this case a flood. Um, and he's paired that with another a new piece that he's been working on that I'll be doing a little bit of sound for, probably, called Feast, which takes place on a table and abounds in knives and forks and teams with teacups. I suppose it's a dance piece, for lack of a better term. Excellent. Um, so we have um, March 14th and 19th. Lovely May. May. Sorry, <laughs> May 14th and 19th. Uh, this lovely crew will be performing uh, Chernobyl, the opera, and uh, Troika Collective will be doing a one-man show um, June 11th to 15th, uh, 2003, at the Chapel Arts, um, and that is uh, produced by Resounding Scream Theatre. And then we have the Revolver Festival, your show, Elliot, from the 25th to the 26th. 21st to 26th. 21st to 26th. Great. Um, I want to thank you guys very, very much for all being here. Um, let's all give us just a round of applause. Thank you. Just for all the hard work we did today. Um, it's, it's always great to have something unique and original uh, in a live performance so we don't just talk about the arts. We're actually uh, producing a little at the same time. So that is really, really excellent. Um, thank you again. Thank, thank you for, for having us. Yeah. And that is uh, it for the Arts Report today on CITR 101.9. Um, we had the Troika Collective on doing Chernobyl the Opera. Uh, we talked about Father Figures, the documentary, um, and talked to April and Jillian. And that is uh, this Saturday on the 11th at the Doxa Festival in this Fall of Knowledge Network. And if you'd like to see more reviews, you can go to citr.ca. You can check out the full interview for Father Figures on our Mixcloud. And I'm also just going to post the full uh, interview from Amber Dawn a few weeks ago. Uh, the podcast uh, was not very good quality, so I'm going to post the full interview with a little special appearance by a local band, Cub, who get a cameo in one of her poems in How Poetry Saved My Life. 
her memoir. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who showed up uh, today on the Arts Report. And uh, we will see you again next week with Sarah Lapsley. And uh, please, please stay tuned for UBC Arts On Air. This week, uh, we're talking to Adam Frank. Uh, Ira Nadell will interview him about his work, Gertrude Stein Criticism. And if you missed it last week on Arts Project, we had a half an hour of Gertrude Stein's um, For Love of Country. So you can check that out on our podcast and on our Facebook page. You're listening to CITR 101.9, The Arts Report. Peace. (laughs) 